For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Are you still wrestling with God for control of your life? Or have you learned to submit and give your life freely over to Him? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah profiles some familiar figures from the Bible who submitted to God's authority, even when they might not have understood His ways. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, Knowing a Sovereign God. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are finishing up this week with part two of Knowing a Sovereign God in the series, The God You May Not Know. We're studying the attributes of God because we believe that the more you know God, the more you will love Him, and the more you will want to worship Him, and the more you will let Him control your life. He is the sovereign of the universe. (laughs) He wants to be the sovereign of your life. He wants to run your life, help you walk in paths of righteousness. We'll have a lot about that in these closing moments of this message, Knowing a Sovereign God. I want to thank all of you who participated last night in the event in Boise. Thank you for making it an event that we believe honored the Lord. And uh, hopefully we've left a little bit of an impact on the city of Boise. Well, um, I want to make sure you're still focused on getting your copy of the book, The God You May Not Know. I have it here in my hands. It's really a beautiful book. The letters on the front of it are embossed, and that's really that's pretty neat. I, I love the packaging of books because I so uh, love the message of a book, and the cover of the book is what gets you to open it. And when you open it and start to read it, then we hope you will stay with the message and learn everything you can learn in this particular occasion about the sovereignty of God. We'd love to send this 260-page hardback book to you for a gift of any size during the month of April. Uh, After today, we have just one week left, so don't uh, wait till the last minute. Make sure you get your gift in the mail today and ask for your copy of The God You May Not Know. All right, here's part two of Knowing a Sovereign God. I don't know that there's any truth in all the world that should comfort us more in this day in which we live than this, that God is in control. And someone says, well, why don't we talk about that anymore in our churches? Well, first of all, we don't even talk about the Bible anymore in a lot of our churches. But this is a biblical truth, and it's at odds with what's going on in our world today. It's because this is the day of humanism. This is the era when people want autonomy and independence and the absolute right to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it, whatever feels good. We attend seminars that tell us whatever we can conceive, we can believe, and whatever we can believe, we can achieve and receive. If we just give humanity a little bit more time, we're told, all of the ills and problems and difficulties of life will be resolved because man has become his own God. But permit me to ask a question this morning. How are you doing, sovereign man? Is the world thriving with peace and prosperity under your so-called human sovereignty? 
or is it descending into disorder and instability and chaos? Is the world cleaner or more polluted? Is it more peaceful or more threatened? Is it more orderly or more violent? Is it more prosperous or teetering on the verge of bankruptcy? You would think after all the pain we have felt as a nation, after all the hurt and anguish we have felt as a world, after all the problems we have experienced, that somebody might just ask, is it possible we're going the wrong way? We started down this path as early as the book of Genesis. God was in charge. Isn't it incredible to read the history of God's sovereignty in the affairs of men? Haman had it in his heart to destroy the Jews and to obliterate the influence of God. He built gallows on which he intended to hang Mordecai. But somehow the tables were turned and Haman was impelled on the gallows he had built for Mordecai. But it wasn't somehow. It was sovereignty. The God of heaven was showing us who's in control. Looking at it from the perspective of history, not just in biblical days, but throughout all the history of the world, Wherever humankind has tried his best to prove he's in control, he has been frustrated and thwarted again and again. Almighty God has said, I am the Lord. I rule in the heavens and in the earth and in the hearts of men. He is the sovereign God. And when I see what's happening across this country, I have to turn off the television, lay aside the newspaper, open my Bible, bow my head and say, I know the one who's in charge. The biblical teaching of God's sovereignty stirs me when I think about it. And when I look at the fact that there aren't any answers anyplace else, this is in the lap of the Almighty. And I come away with three affirmations, which I want to leave with you in your heart today. If this is true, if what I'm saying is true, what should my response be to the fact that almighty God is in charge, that when you look into the heavens, the throne is occupied, that God doesn't go on vacations, he never sleeps, he never takes his hand off the control level. So how should I respond to that? Well, first of all, I've written down, because he is sovereign, I will reverence him. The first affirmation about God's sovereignty is this, because he is sovereign, I will give him reverence. I've had the opportunity of sharing the word of God in the presence of some national leaders over the years that I've been in the ministry. That's a very scary thing when you're asked to speak in front of a national leader. But I want you to suppose with me and take all of the nuance out of what's going on in our world today. This is kind of not normal what's happening right now, but just kind of get back to the normal and think with me through this illustration. Suppose I were preaching and a colleague came to the platform and handed me a note. And it said, the President of the United States has just arrived unexpectedly and he wants to attend your service today. Now some of you will think that would be good for him. Now just, I'm gonna try to hold this together now. Just, I want you to hear my story and don't get lost in the nuance of all this, all right? If he said that, do you know what I would do? I would take a little break from my sermon and I would say to the crowd, Let's all welcome the President of the United States. And regardless of who the President happened to be at that moment, and regardless of whether we agreed or disagreed with his or her policies, if we are the right kind of people, we would stand and applaud. Why? Because we respect the office of the President of our nation. And the Bible tells us to honor the King. 
So if we can summon the courtesy to respect the human position, no matter who the leader might be, what should be our attitude about confessing Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings? The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the concept of fearing the Lord troubles some people, but we're not talking about a debilitating kind of fear. We're talking about a worshipful reverence for God. Christians were once described as God-fearing people. Do you remember those days? Nobody even knows what that means anymore. We seldom hear that phrase, and perhaps it's because we've lost the concept of the fear of the Lord. God wants us to reverence him, to bow before him, to fear him with healthy, godly awe, for God is sovereign, and he is worthy of our reverence and our respect. We have tried in our culture to bring God down to where we are because we feel so distant from him. But I say to you, leave God where he is and get on your knees and reverence him. He is worthy of your respect. And because God is sovereign, my second affirmation is I will respond to him in obedience. A few pages back in this little sermon that I'm giving you, when the Lord told the Israelites to go, this man, this most powerful, feared man of his day, Pharaoh said, listen, do you remember this? He said, no. But do you know why he disobeyed? Here's what it says. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And if I were Moses, I would have said, son, you're about ready to meet him. (laughs) Because Pharaoh didn't understand or respect Jehovah, he felt free to disobey. When people disregard God's sovereignty, they disobey him. But let's reverse the equation. If irreverence produces disobedience, then surely reverence should promote obedience. As I open my Bible, this is the word of a sovereign God. I can't any longer read the Bible just as a student. I have to read it now as a servant. I'm not just trying to learn what the Bible says. I'm trying to find out what God, the sovereign of the universe, is telling me to do, and I have to respond with a yes, Lord. It's interesting how you read the Bible. If you're just reading the Bible for more information, it won't change your life at all. But if you read the Bible as a servant and you say, Lord, what do you have for me today that you need to communicate to my life? Everything changes. It's all about your mindset. When we grasp the sovereign authority of God in and over everything, from the broadest galaxy to the smallest grain of sand, we gladly submit to his will for our lives. He's the captain. He's in control. His eye scans the maps, and he knows what's best for us. We may not always like the weather or the scenery or the route, but those issues pale in the brilliance of his sovereign face. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a man named Eli, He was a priest, and he had two rebellious kids. It's embarrassing to read what they did, and I'm not going to embarrass all of you by giving you the details in the service. You can find it out, and now that I've told you about it, I'm sure you'll look it up this afternoon. But there in that setting in Shiloh, where these two rebellious sons were disgracing God and their father, there was a young boy who was serving God in the tabernacle, 
And one evening, God spoke to this boy saying, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And the Lord gave Samuel a message for Eli, and it was not a good word. He told this young boy, go and tell Eli what I'm telling you. And this is what the message was. 1 Samuel 3, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Wow. Eli gets this message. And you would have thought he would push back, maybe ask for grace and say, wait a minute, give me another chance. But according to verse 18, Samuel told Eli everything God said, and Eli said this, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. In other words, wow. Samuel, if that's what the Lord said, let the Lord be the Lord. That's a pretty good sentence to keep in mind, isn't it? Whatever happens to us, whatever God tells us to do, we can simply say, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Abraham said something similar when he learned the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord will do what seems good to him, and the judge of all the earth will do right. We get shook up by what's happening, whether near us or far away, but the problem is our own human perspective. That changes when we remember that God is in charge. He sees everything from beginning to end. And the more we comprehend that and the more we gladly resign ourselves to his will and obey what he says, and we come to the place where we can say, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. He will do what is right. He will always do what is best. Because God is sovereign, I will reverence him and I will respond to him in obedience And here we are again back to this familiar theme and the attributes of God. Because God is sovereign, I will worship him. Here's my final affirmation. Throughout the Old Testament, especially at momentous times in Israel's history, are great outbreaks of praise. It's truly amazing if you study the Old Testament with this in mind. For instance, there's this one dramatic story where King David was trying to build a temple in the Jerusalem for the Lord. It was the final dream of history's great visionary. And his dream was good, but God told him he wasn't going to let him do it. Do you remember that? And David was so frustrated. He said to David, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. And went on to say, because you have been a shedder of blood, you cannot build my temple. And you would have thought David would have gone off and pouted and given up on the whole deal. But the Bible says that David was brokenhearted, but just for a moment, he was a resilient man. And what did he do? He undertook the one thing he could do, which is always the hardest part of any building program. He raised all the money for the project. And all I could think of was, where was my father when I needed him? Amen? (laughs) He personally gave from his wealth, and he appealed for funds from others. And then they had this worship set in the midst of that very unlikely situation. Here it is from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 
David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. David who wanted to build the temple and couldn't because God wouldn't let him do it. And David said, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. I could never have come up with something like that when I was nursing the wounds of a broken dream. As King David stood that day to collect that offering to finance one of the great wonders of the world, he led his people in a prayer of worship directed to the sovereign Lord. And they brought their offerings, and David said in so many words, God made you rich. (laughs) They stood that day in a moment of strength and power, and David said, God gives you strength. And they stood that day and rejoiced, and David said, God puts joy in your heart. He's the sovereign God. He understood what we're trying to learn today, that our God is sovereign, and our response is to praise his name and worship him and honor him, for he alone is worthy. Whatever I have, whatever is in my heart, whatever I've done, whatever I'm doing, God is behind it all. I have no reason for pride I have every reason to bow humbly before him in gratitude that he would be so willing to let me be a part of what he does. We are not trapped in some aimless universe spinning on a doomed planet, living in a meaningless life and dying a hopeless death. We are not riding on a runaway clattering train. Our God is Jehovah and there is none like him. He is absolute. He is eternal and all-powerful and utterly sovereign. And when he reigns supreme and unrivaled as our captain, Adonai Yahweh will be your sovereign God. Things work out in our lives. Let me tell you this, my friend, that it's no accident that you are where you are. Even if you got there because of an accident, God has a perfect plan and there are no accidents with God. The family you were born in was no accident. The country you live in, the language you speak, the friends you have, your weaknesses, your mistakes, all the things that you've done, your poor decisions, none of them are accidents to God. The book of Romans tells us that God works all things together for his glory. And the word for all things together is the word synergao, the word from which we get our word synergy. And synergy is when you take a whole bunch of things and put them together, and the result is much more than all of them could be added up to be. There's a synergistic effect. And when God gets involved in our lives, he takes the good and the bad, the mistakes, and all of the things we do right, and in his sovereign, he mixes it all together, and he puts together in his plan and according to the scripture he makes all things beautiful he's the sovereign God you may think today oh I have blown it so much God can never use me no if you've blown it you ask for forgiveness you get right and you wait for God's next word and I promise you he's not done with you yet he has a purpose for you he will take what's wrong and somehow he will weave it together into his plan and he will make it right Do you regret certain decisions you've made? Did things not turn out the way you had hoped? Do you feel stuck? Do you wish you had done things differently? There are no accidents with God. God in his sovereignty even overrides our sins. 
Maybe you're suffering long-term consequences of a bad mistake. Remember, there are no accidents with God. God is not the author of sin. So wherever we find ourselves and whatever we have to deal with, we can know that God in his infinite wisdom and in his sovereignty has designed it for our good and to make us like Christ and to bring him glory. Just hang in there. You can trust God. He's in control and he's a good God. Don and I are going to board a ship in Boston that will take us to Canada and New England. I know. You feel badly for us, but somebody has to do this. <laughs> this ship is enormous. We'll have about 650 people on this ship, and it holds 2,000 people. Sometimes when I go there and I stand next to the ship and look up at it, it's overwhelming to me that this humongous piece of steel can float And I better believe it can, because I'm about to get on it, right? (laughs) Up on the bridge of this ship, the captain has his maps and his charts and his navigational equipment. And he and his crew have plied these waters many times. They know exactly where the ship is headed. They know the exact moments when the ship will depart one port and reach another. Meanwhile... Down below the bridge, many kinds of people have booked passage. They all think they're in charge of their lives. Some will come to study the Bible with me. But as I walk around the ship, I will notice a lot of people who in absolute certainty did not come to study the Bible with me. (laughs) They're lost in their own pursuits and in their own pleasures. They're aboard that ship making their infinite daily decisions like everybody else. But none of that has anything to do with the captain. None of that slows down the ship, no matter what the passengers do or don't do, or how frustrated they become, or how carelessly they live. The ship keeps bearing down on the waves, maintaining its pre-planned schedule, and arriving at its destination at just the right moment. That's an inadequate illustration of the sovereignty of God, but somehow it helps me to remember that God has his hand on the wheel. And the culture may change, and the storms may rage, and there may be times when I think I'm running the show, but it's all ridiculous, because up in the wheelhouse is Almighty God, and he's in charge, and the ship's going where he wants it to go, and I'm on board, and though I might be confused sometimes about what's happening, I can rest assured, I trust the captain. I believe He knows what he's doing, and he's in charge. And he's in charge of your life, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not. And the wonderful thing that happens when you become a Christian is you come to the place where you acknowledge that there is a sovereign God, and you realize how wonderful and powerful that is, and you say to yourself, Sovereign God, be sovereign of my life. Come and sit in the wheelhouse of my heart. Come and be my Lord and my Savior. And when you do that, he never, ever says no. He doesn't say, I'm too busy. He always comes when we invite him, but he never comes unless we do. You don't get him by coming to church. You don't get him by reading the Bible or talking to other people or even learning the language of Christianity. You only get God when you invite his son to come and live within your heart. The Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. 
So my plea to you today is if you do not know this sovereign God, you need somebody to get in control of your life. And God Almighty is waiting for you to invite him to be your Lord and Savior. What is there that would keep you from doing that? Why would you not want to do that when you know who he is and what he does? Amen. Amen. You know what? Um, Somebody once told me that uh, every message you preach should end at the cross because that's the central message of Christianity. And, and, you know, we try to do that. It's not always easy to do that if you're teaching a doctrinal series. But, boy, when you talk about the sovereignty of God, you can't end anyplace else. He loves you so much. He cares about you so much. He called you from eternity past. And um, now it's your turn to respond to him and ask him into your life and accept him as your Savior. Well, it's Friday here um, at Turning Point. Everywhere Turning Point is heard and where you're listening, it's Friday. And that means um, Sunday's coming. (laughs) That's right. Sunday's coming. And unfortunately for many people uh, who used to look forward to Sunday, um, the urgency about going to church is gone. Uh, we, uh, we study this a lot. We see the effect of what's happened uh, through the COVID issues and all the other things that have caused people to stay home. And sometimes we wonder if we're doing them any favor by sending the message to them so they can watch it at home and not come to church. Go to church this weekend. You hear me? I'll see you on Monday. God bless you. Our message today originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. We'd love to hear how this ministry is impacting your walk. So please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Tawasin, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The God You May Not Know, and take the journey from knowing about God to knowing God. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The God You May Not Know, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. Dante's Divine Comedy is considered one of the world's greatest literary compositions, an epic poem about the afterlife. The first section called Inferno is about hell. 
Dante had obviously thought a lot about hell, as evidenced by these words. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who remain neutral in a time of a great moral crisis. What Dante called neutrality, Jesus called lukewarmness. In his words to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus rebuked the church for being lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. The lesson for us, take a stand for Christ and his kingdom. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God thinks about lukewarmness on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.